0: Good morning. I'm thankful to be here with you today, and I'm excited. So as they said, we're starting a new series on the Lord's Prayer, and we already read it once, but we are going to go ahead and read it again. If you could stand in honor of the word of the Lord, I will read it. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one you may said thanks so just a little bit of a background Um, this passage, this Lord's Prayer was actually included in Matthew as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching this as a model of prayer to his disciples. He's not saying necessarily pray these exact words by rote, but this is a model. You can pray in this way, as he says. And the other thing that we're focusing, the the primary thing we're focusing on today from this prayer is our Father. And then if you keep coming in the following weeks, we'll focus on the other portions of the prayer. But today is our Father. And there's a couple of things that stood out to me, probably to you as well, if you consider this Our Father phrase. One is that it's corporate, right? Throughout the prayer, Jesus says, Our Father, forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. So we're praying this together as part of community, okay? And it stood out to me that the, the back half of community is unity, <laughs> so in unity we're praying together for these things to our father it's a familial prayer and the other thing is is that when jesus taught his disciples this prayer he used the word abba which for them was the equivalent of daddy so if we stood here and read this prayer together and said our daddy who art in heaven all together we might feel a little foolish because some of us drop that language as we get older right but Jesus wants to position us in childlikeness. That's the point, right? If you look at this prayer, there's these direct requests. They're bold and very childlike. When my kids want something from me, they come right up. They, we're working on respect, but like, they just interrupt. <laughs> okay. um, they just interrupt whatever's going on, and they say, this is what I need. So the children make explicit requests for what their needs are, and impact within that is vulnerability. Okay, so in some ways, it's hard for us to see ourselves as being this vulnerable in terms of provide our food. Many of us have never known what it's like to rely on God for that, right? But He wants to take us to a new level of vulnerability to fully access what He wants to give us. Okay. Um, As I thought about how, Lord, what do you want me to say for our Father? Right. That seems like a landmine. (laughs) talking about fatherhood can be tricky right but kind of what I heard was well we all know what good fatherhood or good parenting is we all kind of know some of us haven't necessarily experienced it and there's roadblocks to good relationships there's roadblocks sometimes between me and you in the our portion of addressing this prayer and sometimes there's roadblocks between us and God and if we think about them Primarily, sin might be what comes to mind, right? Like, sin is the primary roadblock between me and other people and between me and God. But closely tied to it is something we call shame. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Shame is actually a love blocker. It's something that can kind of interfere with our sense of being able to receive the Father's love. It's not that he stops giving it to us. But we might not actually be able to receive it because of what we're feeling. Okay? And so... Um we're going to go after it today. Okay. All right, I'm going to pray now and just invite the Lord again. <laughs> Our Father. We thank you for your love. We thank you that it is always there whether we sense it or not. And Lord, um, as somebody shared their story of you healing their shame, I'm going to share that picture now. That um, it was like a body of fresh water. And you know when you walk in fresh water, it stirs up the sediment, this dust that's on the bottom of the floor. So God, would your footsteps be the love that stirs up the sediment so that you can gather the sediment of shame that may be in our lives? and help us walk more fully into the healing and restoration you have for us, into your calling on our lives, and more fully into your love. Lord, I just pray that you would give grace for the hurt places in this room. Meet us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, shame. We all have it but we don't always necessarily know what it is or not, can't necessarily identify it. And I once saw something that really kind of made a clear depiction in my mind of what shame kind of does in our lives, okay? I was at a gathering, and I was watching some children play Duck, Duck, Goose. Okay, I remember this. It's a fun childhood game. Um, the duckers going around, duck, 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 duck. And eventually they say goose The ducker starts running And the goose jumps up and starts chasing the ducker and, and the goose catches the ducker And when they get caught They have to go to the middle of the circle Where the other kids are gathered Sit in the middle So they're out of the game And the other kids are ch- chanting Shame, shame, shame <laughs> Okay It seems harmless But this is what shame does in our lives It will separate you from other people, it will make you feel like you're out of the game and you're not a part of what's going on around you. And it will also just take you out. Okay, so you're no longer participating. If, if we were going to get an actual definition, um, there's a slide for this. Psychology today defines shame this way. Shame is a key emotion in human experience Shaping perception of oneself and others Serving as a cornerstone For sense of self and attachment with others Central to core aspects of basic behavior and decision making Okay, I like this definition because it's unbiased When we talk about shame, we often think Okay, it's automatically negative But shame can actually be a forerunner To cluing us in that something's wrong okay um, it's an emotion, okay? And God gave us emotions. So this, this actually does have a purpose. It's not always negative or wielded against us. It can be helpful to us. But do you see in this definition how shame can break down the you and me of the approach to our Father? It's a key emotion that serves as a cornerstone for our sense of self, who we are, me, and my attachment with others, the you. So when we're in the midst of feeling shame, it kind of breaks down this relationship. Okay. There's another description that I really like from this book called The Soul of Shame that somebody in this body turned me onto. It's excellent. It, that book says pretty much everything I wish I could say today and cannot and will not adequately address. But um, The Soul of Shame, the author, Kurt Thompson, describes shame this way. It's an undercurrent of sensed emotion that would declare some version of, I am not enough. There is something wrong with me. I am bad or I don't matter. Do you see how these statements could block us or interfere with us being able to receive the love of one another as well as the love of the Father? This is why shame is so important to recognize in our lives and deal with As we come to the Father with our our Father requests. He wants to give us all those things. He wants to give us the kingdom. His perfect will. Forgiveness. Provision. Protection. Deliverance. But there's a sense that our shame prevents us from being able to actually receive all those things. Because we don't even know how fully he loves us. Okay. So. Um. One of these, it, I like how this quote says it's an undercurrent of sensed emotion because oftentimes I think we feel it and we have no idea we're feeling it. So, this part is really important. There's this aspect of, you know, if it runs amok in our life and we don't even really know that we're being dominated by shame, it can play a big role in how we behave and the choices that we make and the way that we choose to engage other people, choose to engage the Lord, or choose to isolate. Um, so, In sensing that it's negative, we'd really like to just be like, okay, I'm cutting that off. This chain is coming off, right? But it's in emotion. So it's something we are going to experience throughout our lives. It's not like, ugh, this is bad. I feel terrible. I want to be rid of this. Um, In the book, Soul of Shame, he says, we would like to have shame excised surgically from our brains. But instead, we find ourselves having to grow in our confidence and combating it. We do not execute shame quickly via some behavioral guillotine, but rather we starve it over time. Not by avoiding it, but by attuning to it. And I can tell you, avoiding it is not helpful. (laughs) Okay, so today we're going to look at some common responses to shame. Hiding is a hallmark of shame. From the beginning. And the reasons are many. Why we might hide from our shame or even hide from other people because we're feeling shame. They're so diverse. It could be our own sin that's promoting us to feel like I'm not good enough. If people knew this about me, I'd be rejected, right? It could be that. Or it could be um, somebody has sinned against us and left us with this feeling that I'm not loved. I'm not valued. I'm not good. I'm not good enough. But it can also be a miscommunication. We can feel those things when nothing bad has happened. We can come under this feeling for a reason that we can't quite even identify sometimes. Okay? So that's why attuning to it is important. Um, And hiding from it is not helpful. Now, one thing I want to say here is that there is a distinction between hiding from shame and Shame having a covering. See, when we hide from our shame that's from our sin, that is not productive. If somebody else has sinned against us and produced a wound in us, we all know that wounds oftentimes require a covering for healing. So there is a covering response to some shame that is actually very necessary to its healing. The Holy Spirit will tell us the difference whether we're hiding. Or we're giving something the dignity of covering that it requires for healing. Are you with me? Okay. All right. So if we go to Genesis, from the beginning, hiding is a hallmark of shame. And we know that God made the whole earth. He made it and he said, this is good. And then he made Adam and Eve and he said, this is very good. Adam is very good. Eve is very good. They're very good. And then he gave them a command. You have all this freedom. Just do not eat from the tree Of the fruit of good and evil. So they lived that way for a while. They're naked in this garden. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, makes a point of saying both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Okay, so it's being clear right here that there is this um, connection between shame and exposure that they haven't experienced yet because it's all good. But in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, so we see in this moment... Obviously sin has now entered the world and it is wreaking some havoc They're also experiencing this feeling of shame because now they recognize. Oh, we're naked And they sew these fig leaves together to hide Right, are they hiding from the animals that apparently nothing has changed their eyes were open. They're hiding from each other Now they're saying oh you can't see this piece of me. You can't see this part of me anymore I'm ashamed and that is what shame does for us in our lives we 'll basically say, mm, they can 't see this part of my life if they did i 'd be rejected, or the sense of shame that I would feel would be overwhelming okay um, and this is how shame works to like disintegrate our relationships, kind of come between. Each of us. Okay? And then we see that it further advances as they continue to hide in bigger ways. In Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. Okay. Okay. So how is this hiding driven by shame? I think oftentimes we can conflate sin and shame. And it's like, oh yeah, naturally he's hiding from God because he broke the rule he disobeyed. But it says um, that I was afraid because I was naked. He doesn't say I was afraid because I disobeyed. He said I was afraid because I was naked. And if we remember, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. To this point, he has known nothing... ...but the Father's perfect love. But now something has come between him and the Father, and he's afraid. And he links his fear to his nakedness, which was previously linked to shame. So shame and fear walk together closely. And they're interrupting this relationship between him and God. And this is what hiding will do. Eventually, Adam and Eve have to come out of hiding, right? Right? Eventually they come out of hiding They take these steps We talk about God comes running after us His love pursues us It does But we have a role to play too I don't believe that God just like Pulled them out from behind the trees Come on out here I'm going to give you a better covering Right? They had to surrender To this process And come out And he said What you've sown in shame isn't good enough I'll give you a better covering Okay? Okay? Okay, okay, so I'm praying that the Lord will just highlight the areas of our lives where we could be hiding. Sometimes we hide and we don't even know it. I'm just praying that he surfaces those places where it's like, Hey, you're hiding and this isn't going to help you. It's not healthy and you're not receiving my love while you're hiding. Um, But sometimes hiding... From shame and shame working that way is really insidious and sneaky I had this experience recently where I realized that I was hiding and I couldn't really even identify why there was actually I don't believe any sin surrounding this okay but here's what it was <laughs> I'm cleaning out my basement and I have all these books that I'm going to donate 90% of them were respectable I promise I got them from Bible school and pastors conferences two of them <laughs> had me feeling a certain way. One was a political, like written by a political author that I no longer follow, kind of a fringy person. And the other one was juvenile friction fiction written by the author of The Twilight series, if any of you know. Which by the way, I enjoyed in my early 20s. But I was feeling like Ooh, I'm a little embarrassed about these two. I have friends over at Equip Books. They all go to my church. <laughs> I don't know if I want to drop those two off over there. I might take these ones to goodwill, right? (laughs) Oh, I'll bet you sent them to goodwill too. (laughs) Anyway, um, so that is the insidiousness of this hiding. If I had given into that and taken those books to goodwill, I would have reinforced this feeling that there was something wrong here, when there really wasn't. Okay, And that's why, if we're attuned to it, we'll catch these moments where we're saying, you can't see this part of me. I can't be known that way. And that's what breaks down between us. Okay. All right, moving on to our next. This one I'm calling the residue of shame. I think this is a hallmark of shame within religious communities. This is the place where you know that you're forgiven because you believe the Bible is true. But you haven't necessarily appropriated that forgiveness. And you have a residue of shame in your life. Okay. Um, I have a personal story here. Um, for, like a story that began in my early years of shame in my life. That really made me feel like, oh my gosh, nobody else can relate to me. Right? Nobody else can know this about me. Um, I would be rejected for sure In the church if I told this story Right And um, this is an example of how um, (laughs) This is a process Okay So you're here today hearing about shame But this is an ongoing process In all of our lives for restoration Right So years ago The sin that was tied to my shame Was broken off and I was delivered from that But But For a long time, I just kept it to myself. This was a part of me that nobody else saw, right? Part of my story that nobody else saw, because I was a new person. Um, And one day, I was reading the Bible, and I read this verse that made me feel like I was still under condemnation of my past, right? It was like, wait a minute, God, I thought I was forgiven, but this says, if you go on sinning after you know Jesus, there's no longer a sacrifice for you. I was like, what does that mean? This doesn't jive with what I've been taught. And I'm feeling really condemned for a past that is no longer part of my life, right? And this is where God's love comes in, okay? Because even, shame, even though shame is a love blocker, nothing can stop God's love. He will come to you. He will meet you in those places. And I was so, so conflicted about this verse. And by the way, notice that it's a verse that the enemy is like, ooh, you're going to get it, right? You're especially bad, okay? He can use anything if we let him. Well, the morning after I had read this verse, I'm still stewing about it, and my kids were watching a show on a, D- on a DVD. And at the time, it was a long time ago, um, kids would, we, we'd have to have our TV on Channel 3, and that's how the DVD would play. Suddenly, there's this uproar, and they're like, hey, um, the TV is not working, the DVD stopped. I come into the room, it's not on Channel 3 anymore, and I'm watching a Beth Moore Bible study. And she's breaking down this verse that had me all torn up And explaining what it really meant in its original context And in that moment, I was like I never encountered the love of the Father like that Right? His love is so great He does not want you to live in shame Okay? And eventually, over time, I said God, okay, this story is surrendered to you I'll share it with some people who get it Right, I think there's people in the church who might kind of get this type of sin um, And I'll share it with those people But I'll tell you what, this residue of shame kind of remained Until the day where he called me To vulnerably share this story and all the details To people who I didn't think get it Tidy Christians, you know At least I thought they were tidy Christians Okay, And that's when it broke right? So this surrender piece is huge Okay, residue of shame <laughs> Moving on We see this in the Bible, I think In Matthew chapter 20 No, not Matthew chapter 26, but I think it's John chapter 21 um, We're talking about Peter When Jesus is going to die He's on trial And Peter is there And he says, Lord, I'll never deny you Prior to this moment Jesus says, oh yes, you will You'll hear a roaster crow three times when you deny me Well, Jesus is on trial and Peter's outside and people are saying, aren't you one of those guys that follows Jesus? He's like, no, 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 no. Three times he denies Jesus. And when the rooster crows, he remembers the prophecy and that he has fulfilled it. And Matthew 26, 75 says, and he went outside and wept bitterly. And this is why I think Peter's in this place of having been forgiven, but not yet fully restored. He has this residue of shame because He's wept bitterly. He's showing signs of repentance. He goes back to his people, it looks like, the disciples, and gathers once again with them. So he's not necessarily hiding, right? So it seems like he's received forgiveness, but there's more work to be done. And one day, I think it's John chapter 21, but I forgot to write it down. One day he says to the disciples, Jesus has appeared to them a couple of times, but they're kind of still like, what's going on? We don't really know. We received the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is in and out of our lives at this point. So Jesus has appeared a couple of times, and um, Peter just says, hey, I'm going fishing. And like six other disciples are like, hey, we're with you, man. And so they all go fishing overnight. They come back to the shore, and Jesus is at the shore in the morning, and he's making them breakfast. And John 21 says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Okay. Jesus is restoring Peter in this moment, and we can see it in multiple ways. One, he's affording Peter the opportunity to publicly proclaim his love for him the same number of times that he had publicly proclaimed that he didn't even know him. Okay? And then... He is also simultaneously receiving the love of the Father. Because the Bible says, I think it's John, First John 14, 9, something. We love him because he first loved us. So encapsulated in this, yes, Lord, I love you statement. Is this truth that he loved me first? Every time we say, I love you, Lord, to him inside that statement wrapped up inside is the knowledge that he loved us first so even as peter's proclaiming this he's receiving this love and jesus is restoring him and the other aspect to his restoration is that jesus is saying i see your love i receive your love i'm giving you an entrustment go feed my sheep go back to the work i already gave you so he's being restored in that way too. And this part's important because it happens in front of his friends. You know, can you imagine if you were one of the 12, you'd been following Jesus doing this hard work for a long time, and then one of you just really stabs you all in the back in a way. In a, you know? Can you see how this would ha- could have worked between them to be like, mm, he's not so much a disciple like we are. Like he's all gung-ho, but does he really have it where it counts, Right? And at this moment, Jesus is doing this restoration in front of them, in their presence, and it's affording Peter this moment of vulnerable exposure, where he says, this hurts, because you asked me the third time, now we all know what we're talking about, right? This hurts, but I'll go there with you. And this restores him with Jesus, with the Father, and with his fellow workers. It's the me and the you in our Father, Okay. Okay. Um, maybe you can relate to this. Like this idea that I know I'm forgiven. But I don't necessarily feel it. You know, like there could be this residue of shame. Like there's some more work the Lord needs to do in me, I think. Because I don't feel restored. Maybe you're in this place. God wants to meet you there. I think there's a really interesting point to notice here. and When we experience the residue of shame. Now listen, I'm playing a little bit like people who want to be very particular about how you teach the Bible might argue with me on this, and I'm just going to say that. But, I feel like, I feel like going back out and fishing was kind of this residue of shame at work in Peter. Like this, he's like, I'm going fishing. What's he doing? He's going back to what's comfortable. He's going back to what's familiar. He's going back to a place where he feels like, I'm good enough. Right? I think we often have this temptation to seek comfort In places where we're feeling a little ashamed and God wants us to be comforted by the way he just experienced way more comfort when he got to the shore with Jesus than he did when he was out there fishing okay lastly shame will tempt you to deny your true identity and your calling this is the you're out of the game thing This is the duck, duck, goose, shame, 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 you're out of the game. Okay? Shame tells us that we're not worthy. We're not good enough. We've been too bad. Somehow we're not loved. We're not valued. We see this described really clearly in a story that was already mentioned this morning in the prodigal son. And it's very long, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase the beginning and then read the rest to you. In Luke chapter 15, um, it talks about a man who had two sons. He had an older and a younger son. The younger son comes to him and says, Hey, Father, I'd like my inheritance now. It sounds like it was premature, like he's acting out of impatience. I want my inheritance now. The father gives it to him freely. He gives it to the older brother freely as well. And then it says that the younger brother went out and he squandered everything he'd received. And when his money had run out, when the inheritance from the father had run out, he didn't want to go back. He's hiding in shame, found some other country, and he ends up taking a job feeding pigs. A famine has hit the land, and now there's no food, and he really just wants to eat this pig food, the pods that the pigs are eating. But it says that nobody would give him anything. And verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. Go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field as he came near the house. He heard music and dancing So he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant Your brother is here. He told him your father has slaughtered the fat and calf because he has him back safe and sound Then he became angry and didn't want to go in So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father look I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Okay, so do you see how shame operating in this son's life? First he's hiding. And then he's like, oh wait, I can survive, but I have to go back as a servant. I do not deserve to go back as a son. I'm not worthy. And encapsulated in this word, worthy, is the idea that I don't have any worth. That's the basic message that shame wants to send us, right? So he says, I'm not worthy to be your son I'll be a servant. Sometimes we do this as Christians, right? I know my past. I know what I've done. It probably is better if I'm out of the game. I'll sit on the sidelines. I'll watch as everybody else does it. I'll enjoy seeing other people participate. But it's, it's not for me because I'm not worthy. Right? You know, the older brother is also experiencing shame. What's interesting about him is his expression is different, but judgment is one of the hallmarks of shame. He's judging, he's comparing, and he also assigns a lower identity to himself. He says, I've been slaving for you, Father, all these years. Neither one of these sons were truly in touch with the extravagant love of their father. Okay. So what do we do? Um, We've talked about attuning to it, noticing that it's there. That's a start. Um, Part of the key is taking ownership and surrender and stepping forward. Adam and Eve had to step forward. This son, while the father came running, he has started down this dusty road, this walk of shame that he was walking out that we do have a part to play in this it's individual it's not prescriptive I couldn't tell you hey you need to come up to the front and lay it all out vulnerably in front of somebody right God's love is really gentle and really gracious you will know if you're listening what he wants you to do with it Um, John you could come up and play but the main thing that we need to do and we actually sang about this this morning um, something about Those who look on him will never be ashamed They'll never be ashamed And Hebrews 12 1 through 2 says Therefore This verse was also referenced this morning Therefore since we are surrounded By such a great cloud of witnesses Let us throw off everything That hinders And the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance The race marked out for us Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so in this it says let us throw off everything that hinders shame will hinder you Jesus wants to take that heal and restore his way the way that he approached this was to endure the cross. He knew shame was coming, but he said, That is not going to stop me from my calling. It's not going to stop me from getting back to the Father. He said, He scorned the shame. He treated it like it was nothing, and he walked through it to the Father and sat down at His right hand. We can do this too, you guys. There's something really interesting in this prodigal son story. The father, we see the father in this prodigal son story, scorned the shame. If you can think about it, when celebrities have a public scandal, what happens? This person disappears for a while, right? We're just going to let this blow over, kind of hide the shame. But this son comes home in shame. But he's repentant, and because he came home, the father said, Oh, we're not letting this blow over. We're not hiding this kid. Everybody come celebrate. This is how extravagant his love is. He is not afraid of what you're carrying on your back when you come to him, he's not afraid of what people will think. He's calling us to be the same. I think we do this pretty well, but he's calling us to celebrate when anyone returns. It doesn't matter what they're carrying. We join him in the same act of kind of releasing people from the residue of shame when we celebrate in big, small ways, big and small ways, every return to the Father. And the other thing that the Father says at the end of this passage is he says to the older son, Everything I have is yours. All this time. Everything he had. Not just the inheritance that he had already apportioned to them. Everything he had was theirs. And when we look at this Our Father prayer, we're asking for it all, right? God, we're asking for your kingdom. Your perfect will. Your forgiveness. Your protection. Your restoration and deliverance. We want it all. And he's saying... Everything I have is yours. Come and get it. So what is the father saying to you? Maybe he just wants you to experience his love. You know, when Adam and Eve were hiding, they forgot that God had already established something for them that was irrevocable. They are very good. When he made you, he said... This one is very good. Maybe that's what you need. Is he calling you to scorn your shame? To scorn your own shame and walk through it to him? Treat it like it's nothing. Because it's not worth the price. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus went through this. It was worth it. Maybe he's revealing where he wants you to receive his love more fully and step more fully into restoration. Maybe there's something that has you going back and fishing instead of being a fisher of men. Have you been living as a servant or a slave? His extravagant love will restore you the identity that he's already given you. I don't know who's closing, but...
1: Woo! That was so good. Thanks, Um, Yeah, I just want to close this. I have um, just a couple of thoughts that were coming to mind, and i love how god works i felt like there was something when john was playing earlier and i was like should i say something or shouldn't i and man it was like spot on and this is what um what i was thinking of earlier was just um i grew up in the church and i'm so thankful for what i got at early ages and in each of the the different places and what my parents um, gave me and what the church gave me but one of the things that I realized over these last, I would say, you know, five or eight years, is I didn't have a way of grasping the Father's love. I had a lot of religion. I had a lot of head knowledge, right? Um, And this is, it was so heavy on me earlier where it's like, how many of you in this room, and like Bree said, like one of the main blockers um, that creates shame in us is that we just don't understand the love of the Father for us. We haven't come to that radical place of knowing that we are loved beyond measure. And I had to go through an experience, many experiences, of the deepness of the Father's love for me. And as it moved from head knowledge to this heart knowledge, it changed everything. Um, And for me, I describe it in this way that I could grasp so completely that God was all present and big and vast and that he created the universe but what I had trouble grasping was the deep father love for me and I believe we need both of these right we have to hold them in tension so there's a, this big great vastness of who God is but then there's this intimate love that Bree was describing in the prodigal son where it is this love that just runs deeply to you And I can tell you, like, I've gone through um, some things in the past couple months, and we all have things, uh, but two things had really, I mean, more than two, but two big things had really come after me. And I'm telling you, what the enemy was coming after was shame. One of the things was something done to me. Right? Shame comes from what other people do. And so I had had some things come after me. And they were coming after my anointing and my calling. And they were coming after my leadership and my anointing. And they went deep. And it was rough. And I'm telling you, the only place that I could run was to the love of the Father. And on the other side, there was my own sin. All right? Like there was this, and I'm telling you, last week, I, I've spent the last four months coming into this worship service, and I said to Michael, I am not coming to church. Because every time I walk in, I just start weeping and worship. And I'm like, I am done weeping in worship. And God was like, oh no, you're coming. <laughs> and you're going to weep and worship. And it doesn't matter who sees you. And I don't care about that. And I'm going to walk you through this. And so it's been this process. And last week, it was my own sin that I had addressed. And it was a sin of envy. And I was going through this deep place of envy. And this thing that God had already healed like four years ago. And I this message, Psalm 73 last week whether it was for any of you, I don't know. It may have been, but it was for me. And I told Joel that, you know, at the end of it. But God had to go to the deep places of my heart and show I, I had to deal with my sin. You know, but I had to bring it into the open. And I stood here and I prayed with Galfu and I, tears streaming down my face. I'm like, here's what I'm doing. Here's, like, I'm living beneath myself, right? And out of the shame and out of the place of getting it into the open, God was like, I can, I can work with that. And there was something that broke. In that moment, when I could say it to another person, because I tried, I knew it, I kept it inside, and I, I was dealing with God, and he was like, "I mean, you, need to, you need to speak it to somebody else. So I don't know where you are today, but I just want you to close your eyes right now. I just want to pray over you. Um, prayer ministers, if you can come up um, while I'm praying, that would be great. Um, so Father, we just thank you that you are love. God, I thank you that you are not just this big God who created the universe and who is omnipresent, but you are an intimate father who loves us so much. God, I thank you for the ways that you have walked me through my shame, the things that have been done to me and the things that I have done to myself. And I have come out in a new level of your love on the other side. And it is only in your love that shame gets broken off. And so God, in this place today, we declare that you are a shame breaker. We declare that you, God, are the one who can walk us through to the other side of what we're experiencing. God, if there are things that have been done to people in this room that have defined them in ways that are beneath themselves, we pray that they would have a measure of knowing who they are in you. And God, if there are places that we are living beneath ourselves, because we are living in our sin, and we just feel like we can't bring it into the light, I declare over each of you in this room that there is freedom of bringing it into the light. However, like Bree said, however that looks, um, there's not this formula, but sit with Jesus. God, show us how to break off the shame. And God, I thank you that you with this prodigal son, you didn't try to hide him away. You brought him into the open and you celebrated him. And so God, we declare that over each person in this room, that as we walk through the places where we humble ourselves and we come into the vastness and the deepness and the intimacy of your love, that out of that place, God, that we come through changed and more radically loved in our knowing on the other side your love is never bigger because it's just as vast as can be and so God I just declare that over this room that we would know your love and know your intimacy and God I just pray that each and every person would just experience your love right now I just pray that each person I just ask that you would just in your mind's eye think of the Father's love for you Picture the Father running to you. Whatever that shame is, whether it was something done to you, whether it's something that you've done, I want you to picture the Father running to you. He picks up his robe, it's undignified, and he runs. And the tears, I imagine, are just streaming down his face as he says that you have come home into his love. And I want you to picture the second part of this, that then there's a celebration just for you. It is a party, because he says you have come home to me. Picture this party, that you are the center of the celebration and that he is declaring over you. You are mine. I love you so much. I am giving you a ring on your finger. I've killed the fattened calf. And here is the table that's been prepared. Family, this is the love of the Father. Let it wash over you right now. Father, wash your love over any place that we have not received a full measure of your love. In any places, there's nothing too deep. There's nothing too dirty. There's nothing that you have done that makes him love you more. The older brother thought he could earn it. There's nothing that you could do that makes him love you less. And we declare that radical love over each individual in this room. God, we just thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you will do. We thank you that this is an ongoing process. And we thank you that you just keep showing us more of you. God, we just love you so much. And we pray this in your name. Amen.